Quakers! Welcome back to Quaker Nation, the weekly podcast hosted by myself, Joey Pyatt, and my good friend, Nikki Belgram. We're recording this episode on Sunday night, October 10th. Good evening. I'm very excited to be welcoming my good friend and our first guest on the podcast, Evan Lightrake. Evan, could you give us a couple of sentences about yourself, uh, your passion for baseball, and your uh, obsession with analytics? Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Evan Lightrake. Uh, I'm so honored to be on the podcast. Nikki, Joey, thank you for having me. Uh, I am obsessed with baseball and obsessed with statistics. And at the intersection of those two things is the thing called baseball analytics, sabermetrics, <laughs> if you will. Um, it, it's really fascinating. It's, it's changing the game, not just baseball, but really how we think about uh, sports in general. Uh, and, and things are really changing and it could really impact the future of sports. Yeah, I'm definitely very excited to have Evan on the podcast. I'm definitely excited to learn a few things, talk about a few things baseball, talk about a few things basketball. In uh, our first segment, we're going to be going through the MLB playoff predictions. We're going to actually go through Evan's own bracket, uh, give some serious predictions and talk about his reasoning for that. In our second segment, we're going to be discussing the NBA and giving our previews first over under bets um, and giving you basically our rationale for a few teams in the East, a few teams in the West, why you think you should take the over or the under for them. Um, we're also going to do a quick pen roundup, um, just give you some of the latest recaps of the games, make you make you uh, make sure you stay t- you stay tuned. Um, on all the scores and all that. And then we're going to be concluding with, of course, the Browns check-in. I'm very, very disappointed to be doing it this week. All I can say is that I wish they had won and it, and they didn't. So, yeah. And we'll be getting to that. But lastly, we're going to be doing our predictions. We're going to be doing Thursday night football predictions for the Bucks eagles games and also the Penn-Columbia game, which is coming up this weekend, which I will be in attendance for, and I'm very excited for that. So stay tuned. All right, so kicking off our pen roundup, uh, we'll start with football. Uh, they had a game against Lehigh. It was a pretty important rebound game for them. They lost to Dartmouth. Nikki, you were at the game. Uh, you were at a column, so I'll pass it over to you. Pen, kind of. You know, they beat a Lehigh team that hasn't scored a touchdown all year going in this game. They beat them twenty and nothing to move the two and two overall. Oh and one in the Ivy. Um, and as they get ready to take on their last six Ivy League games, what can you tell us about this Penn football team, about this game, and just the state of Penn football? You know, Joey, that's a lot of questions. Um, I don't know if I have a lot of answers, but uh, I was I left feeling very conflicted and a little bit concerned, but definitely very happy about this win. Like, don't get me wrong. It was great to see a shutout. Shutouts are rare and they're hard to come by. And it's great to see our defense exhibit that type of prowess. And I think we all know they're capable of that, given some of the graduate students and the seniors who are just absolute studs and making plays left and right, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But yeah, I think... I don't know. 300 dressing yards as well. It's like it's all impressive, but what I would really have wanted is more points. And, and what I really would have wanted is a cleaner game. We saw three turnovers take place. Isaiah Malcolm had two fumbles, and I hate ragging on him because he had a 200 rushing yard day. But yeah, as you say, we have six Ivy games left, and I think the general impression was yes, we got to win. But you know, Coach Pure stressed this in the conference that this team knows that they need to get better, and that every single day that they're going to need to get better because this team right now is not going to be able to compete for the Ivy League. Title. And I think that's the reality of the situation. Um, but they definitely displayed some potential. Like I said, I'm very excited about the defense. Um, Muhammad Giakite um, and Kendrick Smith are both great cornerbacks. We have Prince Emili, who's just an absolute monster up front. And they proved that they, they limited Lehigh to absolutely nothing on the ground. Um, I think they actually averaged negative rushing yards per carry. So 
it, it was impressive in some facets, but at the same time, I would have liked to see more. And um, I think this matchup against Columbia this week will be very insightful um, because Columbia is also a team that we we haven't we don't really know how to pinpoint them. They haven't played many Ivy League games. They lost one to Princeton twenty four seven. But again, Princeton's a very good team. That was sort of an expected loss. So they haven't really shown anything out of the ordinary. Um, and I think this week will be a chance for either Penn or Columbia to do that. And so, you know, I'm hoping that the Quakers can pull everything together on offense. I'd like to see some more balanced attack and some more fluidity, um, you know, alternating between run and pass plays, a little bit more play action and RPOs. I mentioned in the column that they, they definitely had glimpses of that and good drives that they put together. But, you know, ultimately they weren't able to finish and the touchdowns that they did score were when the game was already over. Um, and it's, you know, it's happy, good feely stuff, but I don't know. I, I would have liked to see it in the third quarter or something like that coming right out of halftime um, instead of late in the game when it didn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree, Nick. I mean, a, win, a win is a win, uh, especially in like a football season when it's week to week, you're kind of grinding. Um, but, you know, you'd like to see, I mean, this is a team that has questions passing the football. And you thought that today, that this game against Lehigh was going to be their chance to kind of build some confidence in the passing game. Uh, but, you know, John Quinelli didn't even eclipse 100 passing yards. So there's still question marks there. And for the Quakers, I mean, it's just going to be idly play for them to figure that out. Uh, you know, moving on, uh, sprint football, the other, you know, football played here at Penn. Uh, I don't know if you heard of it. Sprint football is um, a smaller league. Um, there are eight teams that compete nationwide in the Cleveland Sprint Football League. Anyway, Penn took care of business this weekend against Cornell. Uh, they beat them 63 to nothing. Um, and looking forward to sprint football season, the biggest game of their season will be on November 6th against Navy. It'll be their last game of the season. Navy right now is first in the Collegiate Sprint Football League South standings, uh, but they also have a tough match, matchup against Caldwell on October 22nd. Nikki, what can you tell us about men and women's soccer? Yeah, on the soccer pitch, um, men's soccer had a, another somewhat disappointing but definitely hard-fought battle with Columbia. Um, they tied in the in the affair, and they moved to 0-1-1 in conference play. So like many of our other teams, you know, they're starting up Ivy League play, and they're really starting to, to play those games that matter. Um, so I think you, know, you would have come liked to come away with a victory, obviously, in Ivy League play. That's very important, but I think you're happy with a tie, maybe, <laughs> um, and hopefully getting wins next week. And then switching over to women's soccer, women's soccer followed up their big Ivy League win against Cornell with a road shutout loss to Columbia, dropping them to one and two in Ivy play. Still a lot of Ivy League games left to go. Uh, there was a penalty kick that kind of broke Penn's momentum and their defensive confidence, but they're going to hope to get the offense back on track. Some of the storylines of women's soccer has been that they've struggled on the road, um, whether it's just early season fluke thing or whether it's actually a trend, uh, but they have a perfect record at home, but most of their loss and those ties have come on the road. So not sure if that's a trend or if that's just a fluky statistic, but something to keep an eye on for sure uh and then closing out the pen roundup nikki what can you tell us about field hockey yeah moving on to field hockey they had one of the most exciting games of the weekend um they actually won in two to one in overtime against cornell they won on a basically buzzer beater goal by liz zandberger uh, a shot was passed up to her with 10 seconds to go and then basically with six seconds she slapped it right into the back of the net and yeah it was unbelievable um on the other in other news uh in goal was sabian palman um I believe a sophomore with another great performance and um, she got her fourth, her fourth win on the season. So I think she's really manning the defensive front and yeah, I think field hockey will look to continue, uh, continue to build on this win. All right. We are recording this episode uh, Sunday, October 10th. It is 9.30 Eastern exactly. The Red Sox have just walked off to beat the Rays 6-4. They're now winning 2-1. to 
Like we said at the top of the podcast, we have Evan here to discuss the MLB playoffs. We're going to go through his playoff predictions, get a little bit of his insight, uh, pick his brain a little bit. Um, you know, I've certainly wanted to do that every time I hang out with him. So why not? You guys should as well. But anyways, we're going to start off with the series that I just mentioned, Rays-Boston. It's two to one now. Mm-hmm. Evan, break down this series for me. Talk to me a little bit about the Rays. Talk to me a little bit about the landscape of analytics, maybe yeah. a little bit beforehand. Set the stage for us. Yeah, so the Rays are an exceptional team because they prove that you know money doesn't necessarily buy you wins, right? You can build a team using players that are you know undervalued uh, on the market, uh, a team that is you know, really successful and has proven to be successful in the playoffs in recent years when they went to the playoffs, the World Series last year, uh, lost in Game 7 to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, and they're going up against their own uh, division uh, competitor, uh, the Boston Red Sox, uh, who made their way into the Wild Card Series, obviously defeated the New York Yankees in a, in a, in a brutal brutal rivalry loss uh, for uh, the Bronx Bombers. But uh, right now, Red Sox up 2-1 in the series. Uh, but honestly... I got to stick with my team. <laughs> I'm a huge Rays fan. I, I love what they're doing as an organization. Um, and I, I really think that they have it in them to pull it out, overcome the Red Sox, win this series. Yeah, I mean, I know we were talking a little bit about the series beforehand, but and you had a couple young guys that you wanted to shout out in the race and specifically you think are kind of, you know, the reason why this team's succeeding. So you want to tell a little more about uh, kind of the storylines and, and the reasons why you think the Rays will pull this one out? Yeah, definitely. The Rays are just incredible, not only at, you know, fielding a team of major league talent, but also a, a full organization of, of great minor league talent. I mean, they continue to have, you know, an exceptional uh, farm rating system, uh, farm system rating. Uh, and uh, they, they they continue to you know bring up amazing prospects that just excel. Obviously, last year in the playoffs, uh, they were carried by the legend Randy Rosarena, Randy uh, <laughs> who hit ten playoff home runs, uh, the, the most in a single playoff ever. Absurd. He wasn't even a rookie. He was rookie this season. Uh, he might be up for rookie of the year. Uh, and if he doesn't win, it'll probably go to his teammate Wander Franco, who was the number one prospect this year. Got called up. And uh, just got on base and never stopped getting on base. I mean, a, a crazy streak of like 45-plus games as a rookie, as a 20-year-old. I mean, he's just crazy. So th- this team is fun to watch. Yeah, watching the game earlier, I think we saw a statistic that the winner of the game when the series is tied 1-1 goes into winning, what was it, 76? 70, 72% of the 72% time. 72% of the time? Okay, yeah. so I think uh, it's safe to say that the Rays will be you know, part of that 28% Yeah, well, it's like a two, two heads in a row, two coin flips. I, I've seen it before. So. Yeah, I've seen it before yeah. as well. Yeah. Okay, so let's say we have the Rays moving on. Uh, let's move to the other side of the AL where we have the Sox facing off against the Astros. The Astros currently lead that series 2-0. Yeah, They'll be facing off tomorrow for us. It will have already happened. Uh, by the time the podcast airs, but um, is this season going to? Sorry, is this series going to be over, Evan, or uh, what do we expect? Yeah, I mean, it, the Astros are up two zero. They're up five one. the The White Sox are a great team. They're highlighted by you know an amazing pitching staff: Lance Lynn, Carlos Rodon, Dylan Seas, of course, the Hart Westlake boy, Lucas Giolito. Uh, but they had two games where they didn't show up, and astros are just pouncing i mean they're a playoff team they've been here before and uh they 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 know how to win um the series seems like it's pretty wrapped up 
Anything else on that series? Or? Uh, I mean, it, it, it's fun to watch the White Sox play because they're an exciting team, and, and we knew for a long time that they were going to be an exciting team. I mean, they had one of the best farm teams uh, for a long time. They've gotten some crazy international talent. Uh, Luis Robert, obviously, uh, Ilo Jimenez. Uh, they've got great switch hitters. Uh, Yuan Moncada, Yasmani Grandal, who had a crazy season. He hardly got any hits, but when he got a hit, it was either you know a, a bomb or a strikeout or a walk. <laughs> I mean, he was you know really the three true outcomes type of player, um, which is you know frustrating for some baseball fans, but you know <laughs> for others it's kind of fun to yeah see. How yeah, I love to see the bombs personally. Yeah. Um, okay, so then we have the Rays facing off against the Astros. Mm-hmm. Um, who's going to make it to the World Series from the AL? You know, that's going to be a really exciting season uh, series because, you know, both of these teams have, have been in the playoffs uh, and, and they've provided some of the best playoff highlights over the past few years. Um, so it's definitely going to be one that everybody wants to tune into uh, if those two teams meet. Um, ultimately, I, I think it's going to come down to the hitting. I mean, both of these teams have uh, deep, deep staffs, but no pitcher who really stands out uh, exceptionally. So that means that anybody can step up at any moment. Uh, but the bats have to follow. So it's whoever brings those bats, uh, which, you know, the Astros, they've been able to do, but the Rays have some nasty pitchers. And uh, it seems like their offense can't really be stopped. So I, I like the Rays again. All right, so we got the Rays advanced in World Series. Let's get into the NL, see who you have kind of face off against them. First, we'll talk Braves Brewers. Right now, the series is tied 1 1 as of this recording. Uh, you love the hitters on the Braves, but you know you also said the Brewers are kind of a, an exciting team you're talking to us. So go dive in the series a little bit more and, and kind of what we should be watching for there and, and what makes each of these teams kind of special. Yeah, definitely. It, it's really, you know, a, a pitching team versus a hitting team. The, the Braves have some crazy bats, and, you know, Ronald Acuna. Austin Riley, Freddie Freeman, Ozzy Albies, uh, just some guys who really can hit the ball and hit the ball hard. Uh, but obviously they're going up against the Brewers who have a crazy staff of pitchers, uh, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, uh, Freddie Peralta, uh, and I mean, their bullpen is just as good as it gets. Uh, so it, it's going to be really fun to see these pitchers go against the hitters. Obviously the Braves have some arms of their own, uh, Max Fried, Charlie Morton, um, some guys who also have uh, some 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 innings, some experience uh, on their belt. Um, so it's going to be fun going up against them. I mean, the Brewers hitters haven't really been super exceptional this year, so it's really going to be about who steps up in the moment. Yeah, and I think for, uh, you say this is going to be a close series for the Braves and for the Brewers. Who do you think steps up on those teams, respectively? Yeah, I think the Braves are a better team overall. I think they just got a, a deeper lineup um, and also still you know playoff arms to back that up. So I, I think I'll take the Braves in this one. Okay, and then diving into our last series, Nikki and I were instructed to save this one for last. Uh, Evan's got a lot of storylines. I think he's going to hype this up as as the series of, you know, at least the postseason, the one that you should all be watching. So, uh, Evan, I'll just turn this over for you. Dodgers-Giants is tied up 1-1. Tell us everything that that we need to know for this series. Yeah, this this is a really uh, crazy series, one that everybody wants to uh, tune into. In, In the first game, the Giants, you know, sort of came in blew the Dodgers by surprise, but the Dodgers, you know, brought their bats back in the second game. So we're at this crossing point to see who takes the lead. Uh, Before the season, I mean, no one really thought that the Giants would, you know, win 80 games, let alone 90 or 100 games. 
they had a 0.1% chance of even winning the World Series. And so it's crazy to see how uh, when they started winning, it, it wasn't a fluke. You know, I remember when they had 40 wins and I thought to myself, yeah, this isn't going to keep going, right? Everybody expected the Dodgers and the Padres to really step up and be dominant in the division. They didn't really see this, you know, crazy team of, 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 of washed up vets uh, all of these guys that hadn't really found a place uh, on any team. And then they got Chris Bryant, and they just kept on winning and winning and winning. Uh, and everyone stepped up. I mean, Evan Longoria, Brandon Crawford, Brandon Belt. Uh, I mean, these guys who, uh, Buster Posey, of course, uh, these guys who have been around for years and are, are dedicated veterans and had just not had this level of potential. And for all of them to do it in the same year, it's just really, really crazy to watch. Um, along with all of their arms that have really stepped up. A lot of veteran pitchers too. Uh, and and just the fact that they were able to surpass the 106 Dodgers, this, this, this super team. I mean, this is more super team than, you know, KD, Curry, and Clay. I mean, you got <laughs> MVPs and Cy Youngs and all stars galore. I mean, the Dodgers are one of the craziest teams ever. Uh, and, and the fact that not only are they facing each other, the two best teams in baseball, uh, but also two intense rivals uh, who have a long, tormented history against each other. Uh, one that isn't always uh, peaceful in nature, but. Uh, it's it's definitely one that is you know uh, very respected and uh, one that you would want to watch. So who comes out on top, Evan? You know this is crazy. I mean, we see teams uh, like you know the Nationals, sort of like this underdog team, come out and, and win the World Series. But obviously, the Giants aren't really the underdog. They have more wins than the Dodgers, um, and uh, obviously by you know the record you you would say giants but i I think the dodgers have exceptional talent and and when they play these long series against you know the same team that's really where you see uh some teams you know really uh show who's better than the other um I, i think the dodgers have you know a fine record against the giants in the regular season uh but ultimately they really have a lot of playoff experience. Obviously, they won the World Series last year, um, and I think there's just fewer holes in their roster. I, I see the Dodgers coming out on top. All right, so we have Dodgers, we have Rays. Evan, this is you've set up this World Series for us. What you predict? I mean, in a week or so, a week or two, let's let's hope you're right and that we we have this huge prep leading up to it. We'll trust you. I mean, you're our baseball guru, but walk us through what a Rays Dodgers series, a rematch of last year's World Series, what it looks like, what we should be watching for, and why. Everybody, not even just baseball fans, should be tuned in for that. Yeah, I mean, it would be wild if we get this rematch because everybody knows, you know, that series went to Game 7, uh, uh, an, an intense decision uh, that was widely controversial by the Rays manager, Kevin Cash, to take out Blake Snell, um, really highlighted that series as a whole when, you know, they're crazy back-and-forth games, uh, the Brett Phillips walk-off. I mean, it was just a wild series as a whole. Um, so I think it's going to be great to see these two teams play, you know, some more games. And I feel like it's going to be head to head, aggressive and ruthless, hard fought. And I think we're going to see both teams win a lot of games. Uh, so I'm feeling this, this, this going to game seven, 
Um, but you know, sometimes things go one way, sometimes they go another way. And I feel like this time around the Rays are going to come out on top. Um, okay, so Evan gave us his postseason prediction, but obviously the regular season has already concluded, and that means that award predictions are fully in order. So now we're going to go through uh, some MVP predictions, some Cy Young, some Rookie of the Year predictions. So Evan, start us off with the MVP. Obviously, as a non-baseball fan, I know who Shohei Itani is. I know what he's been doing this season. But could you just break down for us why exactly this season is so special? Yeah, Shohei Otani came uh, to major leagues a few years ago from Japan, and what makes him so so exceptional uh, and, and unique is his ability to play both sides of the ball. He is not only one of the best pitchers in baseball; he can throw, you know, up to 100 miles an hour, but he also hits, you know, 450 foot home runs. I mean, he's just incredible. Uh, he participated in the home run derby this year. First pitcher to ever do that. Um, people always talked about how, you know, if he was able to really, you know, prove that he could do this hit and pitch, uh, for a whole entire season, then it would really be something special. No one has really done this since Babe Ruth did it. Uh, and even he didn't do it for the remainder of his career. He just, you know, went to hitting and that's something that they said he would do. He'd either, you know, just pitch or just hit. Um, and so the fact that he's able to excel at both, be one of the best pitchers and best hitters in baseball is uh, wild. And he's undoubtedly going to win the American League MVP. Yeah, I'm not sure anyone's going to eclipse uh, this type of unique season in uh, the NL, but could you give us some of the front runners uh, and your your prediction for the NL? Yeah, yeah there, there's a, a lot of great, great young hitters in the NL. Um, obviously, Fernando Tatis Jr. Had a, had a crazy season that was cut a little short. Um, Juan Soto of the Nationals continues to just prove that his approach to the plate is, you know, among the best in the game. Uh, but I really think that the guy who stepped up this year uh, and was really the most valuable uh, player was Bryce Harper uh, of of our own Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, I mean, he hit 35 bombs, 40 doubles, uh, slugged 615. I mean, he was just uh, exceptional at the plate always on it uh i mean anyone who knows who, who watched him knows that he was just crushed in the ball this season and uh his his pace and his prowess on offense and defense just stands him on the best yeah to my uh, limited baseball knowledge i think i know that the arms are just important as the bats as mm-hmm. they might say um evan give us some of your front runners for the cy young about the nl and the al yeah, in the in the National League, uh, we could stay on the Phillies because their ace, uh, you know, there's a lot of contention about who the Phillies ace is, uh, Aaron Nola or Zach Wheeler. And I mean, Zach Wheeler really stepped up this year and uh, proved that he is one of the best pitchers in baseball. Uh, I mean, just dominant pitching, uh, more innings than any pitcher in the National League, uh, striking out 247 most in the National League, just a beast throughout the entire season pitching you know seven inning shutouts i mean he was great uh but he's also got to compete with uh you know walker bueller max scherzer two dodgers who are just both beasts on the mound uh and then of course you know you got corbin burns who also is insane in uh milwaukee uh ultimately i think anybody any of these guys can win i'm just gonna stick with zach wheeler because uh (laughs) Said at the midseason, it would be crazy if we have both and i really thought we could and it's great to see that they're both in contention 
Yeah, and last but not least, I'm very curious to see who you have uh, for your Rookie of the Year. But I'm also curious just to see what the other rising stars in the league are. You know, obviously, there's a lot of guys in the NBA who are yeah. breaking out. Not everyone can win the Rookie of the Year award. Luckily for baseball, you have two. But, you know, ML, uh, sorry, NBA, the NFL only has one award. But, you know, give me your Rookie of the Year votes. And then also give me a couple other guys that I, I should really be paying attention for and hopping on the bandwagon before, you know, it gets uncool. Yeah, in, in the NL, definitely the Rookie of the Year, uh, Jonathan India, obviously, in the Cincinnati Reds he had a good season but I'm gonna have to give it to uh, Trevor Rogers on the Marlins he was just a beast of a pitcher beat up on the Phillies uh and, and he just he was just great I as as someone who is, is a rising star I will point out a Philly Ranger Suarez who was sort of like a uh uh mixed pitcher he pitched out of the bullpen a lot closed some games uh was a long starter was an opener started games and he was just a beast throughout the whole season um and, and he was great he's going to be fun to watch for the next years um and then in the american league obviously we have these two rays going up against each other a rose arena juan or franco both of them are uh, amazing whoever wins uh is going to be you know uh very deserved but I, I think someone fun to watch someone who's a rising star obviously is uh someone who uh, is obviously going to get a lot of mvp votes in the american league uh one of the most hyped prospects of all time Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who just had an absolutely exceptional season, hitting you know over 300, crazy amount of home runs, just crushing the ball, and really living up to those absurd expectations that people set for him. Yeah, yeah, Evan, just tell me a little bit about those expectations. Yeah, so uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, was you know one of the top prospects in baseball, if not the top prospect, uh, and it was deservedly so considering his father was uh, Vladimir Guerrero Sr a Hall of Famer uh, outfielder for the Expos, the Nationals, Los Angeles Angels. Uh, he is a Hall of Famer, and people were saying that his son, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., was going to be better than him. That's a lot to live up to. Uh, and, you know, we saw some, you know, sparks of greatness uh, in, in his his rookie season. People, you know, w- wavered at the thought of his, you know, reaching those expectations. They questioned his ability uh, but they moved him to first base. He's focused on his hitting a little bit more, and he's been balling out, and he's been going crazy. Uh, I mean, just absurd numbers. He crushes the ball like the best in the game. I mean, he's right up there with Stanton in terms of exit velocity. I mean, he is a, a freak of nature. I mean, he, he's crazy. Yeah, I, th- I just love following the rising stars of any league. I think before you know it, you know, you snap one in two years, and it's that person's league, and it... it these leaps, which we're going to get into a little bit later, I think happen uh, way, way sooner than you ever would predict. Um, so I think, yeah, keeping an eye out on all those youngsters is definitely very important. Yeah. No, I think I mean, I think Evan's gotten both Nikki and I, admittedly, two guys that do not follow baseball too closely, pretty excited for not only this postseason, but just to watch these rising stars. I mean, I feel like baseball's trending towards, you know, anybody can watch the highlights. Anybody can enjoy following the game, um, seeing a huge Vladimir Guerrero Jr. home run or just seeing, you know, a, a fastball to close out a game. I mean, this stuff's exciting. Evan's got me excited for it. Uh, hopefully you guys all enjoyed hearing his, his perspective is super unique. We're super lucky to have him on the podcast. Thanks again, Evan, for coming on, sharing your insights with us and everybody. I know everyone's going to enjoy it just as much as Nick and I did. Thanks so much for having me.
All right, now we move on to segment two, where we're going to preview the NBA season. We're going to go over Joey and I's uh, bets for over-unders. We're going to take a look at around 10 teams, um, just talk about them, evaluate them, and hopefully provide a little bit of the landscape of what we think is going to happen in the NBA. You know, every single season, I think there's a degree of unpredictability. Teams shoot from, you know, the Lakers with a one seed a couple years ago, won the championship, going to the seven seed. I don't think anyone would have predicted that at the beginning of the season. So we're going to go through a little bit of our uh, standings, give some rationale to our over-under, and... Um, yeah, overall, just prep you for the NBA season, which starts on October 19th. Yeah, let's hop in. We'll start. I mean, Nikki, I'll kick it over to you. We'll talk about your first team, the Mavericks. Uh, right now, they have them at 48 and a half. And you've taken the over. Walk us through, you know, what you have for the Mavs and what you're expecting from this team this year. Yeah, so I'm very excited for this Mavericks team. I think uh, first and foremost, obviously, Luka Doncic. I don't really know what to say about him besides he's an absolute superstar. I think this league is basically his for the taking um, in the next five or ten years, especially playing in a different uh, conference than Giannis. I think we could see them clashing in the finals several times, honestly, if I'm being realistic. Um you know, I'm going to go ahead and steal a little bit of Bill Simmons' take on uh, what he talks about stars making the leap. But I think a lot of times he says throughout the, the history of sports, guys who are 18 or 22 or whatever absolutely just take over the league before you expect it. I think LeBron did that in 2007 when he was just 22 in his fourth season in the league. Um, you know, I just really think that Luka has shown that he can dominate a playoff series. We've seen him get pretty unfortunate matchups against the Clippers in the past two seasons who have very, very versatile wing guards who basically played an all-switch defense against Luka. But, you know, watching that series, it was almost one against five. I mean, he's dissecting teams. Defenses look absolutely helpless against Luka. He's making absolute bums look like superstars. He's getting a wide-open shot for his teammate whenever he wants, or he's driving to the rack, and nobody can stop him at the rack. He's a brilliant finisher. He has brilliant touch. He's one of the best shooters in the league. He has some of the best ball handling. He's one of the best passers. I could go on and on. But what's most important is, I think, what the Mavericks are doing a little bit around Luka. They've added Reggie Bullock uh, from the Knicks last season. He's a great 3 and D player. I think he provides a little bit more of the defensive edge that you know, you're know you lacking with uh, Tim Hardaway. A junior type guy uh, who's more of a scorer. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith is a little bit like Reggie Bullock, but again, both those guys are coming back, providing a little bit more experience, just a little bit more uh, veteran leadership for this Mavericks team. I think one thing that I'm worried about is the five uh, right now that they have Dwight Powell starting there, but I'm thinking that they really need to try and make a move for a stronger starting center. Um, on the topic of, you know, the front court and the bigs, I'm a little bit worried about Porzingis. Last season in the Clippers series, he only ended up playing three games. Um, and he's supposedly supposed to be their second best player. He was absolutely inefficient. You almost wanted to just prevent him from being included in the offense at all. Um, it seemed like he wasn't a, an efficient scoring option from the perimeter. He was basically forced to stand inside and clog up the paint, which was honestly just providing more uh, problems for the Mavs offense. So I think they really need to figure out his role in the offense. Um, and figure out what they're going to do at the four and five. But honestly, I'm super, super enthusiastic about Jalen Brunson coming off the bench. I think he's going to provide a great option for them. Um, I think he's going to do a lot of the necessary scoring and playmaking that they need when Luka is not on the floor. Um, so I think they're certainly going to look for him. He's going to be a great option. Um, might be stealing a little bit of another take, but uh, Drogic, who's currently on the Toronto Raptors, could be heading over to Dallas. We obviously know that him and Luka played together in the Olympics. Um, 
Um, I think it'd be great to have a savvy veteran point guard coming off the bench to supplement Jalen Brunson, not even necessarily getting rid of him. I think one of the big flaws in the Mavericks, like we see with every single team that has a superstar, is what do you do when that star is not on on the floor? So I think for the Mavericks, uh, mitigating the plus minus from when Luka's not on the floor is going to be a very, very big differential in whether they can, you know, stay competitive in these playoff games and absolutely and ultimately pull away with uh, Luka's offense and his playmaking ability. I agree, Nikki. And also, like you said, Porzingis will be very telling. Um, I was also listening to Bill Simmons talk about him and they're saying that, you know, Porzingis, he looks better. Uh, They don't think he'll get back to, you know, his superstar days, but he could be a very productive player if he gets healthy, gets fit, um, gets right about his game mentally. But definitely excited to watch the Mavericks and Luka this season just ball out. Yeah, so I currently have them at third in the West, one of the top teams. I think that they are really poised for a strong regular season, you know, building off the uh, the previous seasons where they've basically maintained the same roster, the same construction. Um, obviously, they got rid of Rick Carlisle, and so it'll be very interesting to see how Jason Kidd does as a new coach. But I think ultimately, he's going to lean into Luka Doncic as a scorer, and that's exactly what I think they should do. Um, in basketball, you always want the best player on your team to have the ball um, and to run, to have things run through them. So I'm just super excited for this Mavericks team, and again, it's because of Luka Doncic, but I have them at the top of the West. Joey, give me some of the teams that you have from the top of the East. Uh, I know the Nets, for example, you're a little bit suspicious of uh, just everything that's going on with them. I don't even know how to phrase it. But uh, yeah, tell me yeah. about some of your anxieties. Yeah, I think there was no shortage of Nets news. I mean, I don't think you even had to follow the NBA to get your daily dose of Nets news as to what was going on with that semi quasi super team they were trying to build with Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving. Um, last year, they only had eight total games with all three of those superstars on the court at the same time. And on average, they only had 1.7 of those superstars on the floor at a given time. And I guess playing without all three of the superstars was good practice for this this season because they have, have some more Kyrie Irving um, things going on. Uh, the Athletic reported today uh, that Kyrie is probably not going to play in the team's home games uh, because of New York City's vaccine ordinance. Nobody knows Kyrie Irving's vaccine status as of now, um, but he hasn't made it public. Uh, and because of that, he, he hasn't been playing in the team's home games. He can practice with them because it's a private building, but he can't play in their home games. And that obviously for reasons will become will be a big challenge for the Nets this season. I mean, it's mm-hmm. going to challenge Steve Nash in his game management. I mean, does does he you know start Kyrie Irving in, home, in those away games and then home games just create another starting lineup and have you know one night, one starting lineup, the other to the next? Or does he bring Kyrie off the bench? Um, but Kyrie's obviously a dynamic playmaker, a big personality. Is he going to want to come off the bench in a regular role? Um, and it also, you know, kind of makes Steve Nash's job difficult in terms of low management. Uh, I mean, we saw towards the end of the playoffs last year when Durant just had to kind of put this team on his back and couldn't really rest at all. And, you know, in a long NBA season, it's very easy for these superstars to get run down. And Harden and Durant both have their fair share of, you know, injury history. And so I think, I mean, if this is a healthy team, I think they have no problem meeting that 56 and a half line that's there right now. But I, I do take the under on it just because I, I am not confident that this team can stay healthy with that big three, as well as in their front court. I mean, a front court of Blake Griffin, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Millsap doesn't um, also inspire any durability confidence as well. So I think this is just a team where they're going to be a good team and there's no question they'll be atop the East. Uh, but I don't see them hitting that 56 and a half um, over underline this set right now, just because there's so many issues with, you know, what are they going to do with Kyrie? Can this team stay healthy? Are they going to be able to, you know, when, when they're playing Giannis, are they going to be able to defend against them? I think there's too many question marks right now uh, to kind of slam dunk the Nets as the number one team in the East. Yeah, I think those concerns are all extremely valid. And I think uh, another team that I have some question marks about is definitely the Warriors, who I have the under for. Um, Their under sits at 48.5. 
I'm sorry. Their line sits at 48.5, and I'm going to take the under on that, putting them at about six in the West. Um, I think the number one question for me is just got to be Clay's health. I think his return is a major, major question mark. You know, we saw him go down with a torn ACL and an Achilles. I think a lot of people forget that that happened. But yes, he tore his ACL and his Achilles. I just, I don't think Clay is going to be the same player that he was. Um, I think the, the Warriors are going to have to rely a lot on new pieces to sort of fit into an old scheme. I think they're maintaining that big three, which has had success, but I think the NBA has been adapting and every single year, if you're not getting better, then you're probably getting worse. Um, as we saw with the Lakers, um, you know, when you fail to change and to adapt the times, which I'm not necessarily saying the Warriors have done that, but I just think you're trying to fit these new pieces around the same core. And it's just, I don't know if that's going to succeed this year or next year. Um, Steph, Clay and Draymond are all getting much older and they're really you know, getting out of their prime. I'm just not sure that they're going to be able to muster it together. Um, you know, they're not going to be that strong on defense. Of course, Draymond's going to help. But I really think I have them as a borderline playoff team. I don't really see them competing at the top of the West at all. Um, they don't really have a bench that I love. Of course, they have Kaminga. Um, they have Jordan Poole, who people are, are very excited for, and James Wiseman. But to be honest, I really don't see any three of those guys making a significant leap in helping this team. Um, I think relying on them, too, is... It's almost a scary proposition in the first place. Um, and I think the only way that they even pose a real threat is if everyone is healthy and those guys are making an impact. And so, you know, I have them in a six seed. I think they're going to make the playoffs, of course, just, you know, with Steph. He's an MVP. Um, you can never count him out of anything. And so for that reason, I could see them maybe winning the first round with a good matchup. But I really don't see them making a deep playoff run. And I really don't see them being one of those scary teams that you meet in the regular season. So I'm going to go ahead and take the under on that 48 and a half. Yeah, and, and while we're kind of, you know, on kind of the same similar, you know, line, I have the Miami Heat. Um, you know, they have a 48 and a half line right now. I'm taking the under for kind of similar reasons that Nikki highlighted with the Warriors. This is a team that, I mean, everybody remembers their their NBA bubble magic. Um, Tyler Hero's breakout, the picture of Jimmy Butler. It was, you know, just the other day, the picture of him, you know, burn out after a long game. It was one year ago, two seasons ago. Just kind of something crazy to like wrap your head around. It was like a one year ago thing, but two years seasons ago. But this is a team that like pretty much lacked depth last season. I mean, their top seven is very solid. They have great players. Uh, and obviously, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo are going to be great. But the question is, can this team's ensemble, can those players like Tyler Hero, can guys that they brought in like Victor Oladipo, who is definitely a, a kind of a shell of his former self right now, can they get him back to level? And I think this team depends on a lot of ifs. Um, similar, like you said about the, the Warriors, it's if they're healthy, it's if these players can take a step forward. And I think for Miami, um, I could easily see a Cinderella kind of story where they have a revived Oladipo uh, taking that starting spot that probably PJ Tucker will probably be in the start of the season. Uh, I could see Kyle Lowry kind of playing at elite level once again getting Butler and Bam um, and kind of having them all operating on full cylinders. But I, like I said, I think these are all ifs um, rather than definite things you can guarantee. And because of that, I think this team's ceiling is very high. I think this could be a team that finishes in, in the top three of the East and they could push it, especially if some of these other teams like the Nets have problems. But I, I do think if you're if you're going based off the floor and what we can realistically expect from this team, I think this Miami Heat team is a playoff team for sure, um, but definitely lower in those 40s when it comes to the win total and, and definitely not a team that's boarding on 50 wins. Yeah, I think this is definitely a team that I wouldn't want to mean the playoffs. Um, just considering I think their game style is 
little bit oppressive. Obviously, they're going to have a very, very, very aggressive defense, and they're going to make you earn every single win that you uh, have in a series against them. But, you know, they also have the shooters. They they have Duncan and they have Tyler Hero, and I'm just scared that, you know, they're going to make the shots when they need them to. And we know how important threes can be at the end of late games, and it almost seems like their defense is going to keep them in a lot of the, in a lot of these games and series. So I certainly want to, wouldn't want to face them. But, yeah, I think the, the take that... I don't know how they're going to gel exactly. And I think to bet on an over and to bet on them gelling is definitely a risky proposition. So I think I might agree with you going on the over here. Um, you know, I see the Heat finishing maybe around sixth or fifth in the East, but definitely would not want to be facing them. On a similar note, the Pacers in the East, one of those middling, mediocre teams. I have the under on 42 and a half games. I don't even have them making the playoffs. Um, I really think this team is one of those that could be on the verge of getting completely blown up. There's a lot of uh, expendable pieces, a lot of valuable pieces. Nonetheless, we have Karis LeVert, obviously, Malcolm Brogdon, who's a very efficient point guard, you know, verging on 50, 40, 90 seasons. I think a very underrated player in my mind. Similar note, Miles Turner is an absolute beast in the paint. I think um, not giving him a max contract is kind of crazy, but I think, you know, teams should take... Uh, Teams should take interest in Miles Turner. Um, I think he's an absolute beast on the defensive end, and it can provide a real anchor for you know a team like the Mavericks or something like that who needs some uh, stabilizing force on the defensive end. Um, but you know, besides that, I think Demontis Sabonis is kind of a borderline all-star. I feel like some of these other players that they just acquired, like Torrey Craig and T.J. Warren, are, are basically expendable. And I would not be surprised making this pay- to see this Pacers team make major moves um, if the season isn't going well. And so for that reason, I think I'm taking the under. I just don't really expect them to do anything. Um, and even if they make the playoffs, honestly, I don't think they're going to win a series. And I don't think anyone expects them to. So yeah, I'm taking the under on the Pacers. Yeah, and along the similar line of one of those East teams is kind of, you know, not top tier, but definitely not out of contention. Uh, I'm going to look at the New York Knicks right now. They're at 41 and a half, and I'm going to take the over. Um, I mean, disclaimer, I love watching the Knicks. I think they're a super fun team. I loved following them last season. Uh, Julius Randle kind of shocked the world, had this resurgence. It became the team's like star. I mean, this is a team that finished third in defensive efficiency, um, had a little bit of luck. I mean, opponents shot only 33, 33.7% from beyond the arc. It was the lowest percentage against in the league. Um, so they obviously have some good luck, but I think this team still would have been a solid defense and would have defended well, even with opponents having good luck. They did have some weaknesses. They had point, they had Alfred Payton a point guard for a majority of last season, and they had some issues with that. Uh, to kind of address that, they brought in Kemba Walker, who obviously is not in his prime and is definitely not you know the all star that he once was. But he doesn't really need to be as long as he plays healthy and as long as he plays, you know, efficiently, doesn't turn the ball over, kind of get, keeps things moving. I think this will, this team will have no problems with the point guard position. Uh, they have Derek Rose behind him, and he's established himself as one of the best backup point guards in the league. Uh, they don't have a lot of depth there, uh, so they've tried to get like Emmanuel quickly, one of their lo- young guys, and a guy that I love watching. He's one of my favorite players to watch. They've tried to have him run the point, um, but that's not his strong suit. He's definitely more of a more of a scorer, more of a dynamic player. So if they do have some injuries at the point guard position, that could hurt him. And this is a team that definitely is going to regress. This is not a team that's going to come out and have the efficiency and kind of have the breakout that they they did last year. But I do think that most of the regression is going to be minor. And I think this is still a team that could push for, you know, maybe sixth or fifth in the East. Uh, Definitely get in the playoffs, maybe give a team a hard time in the first round. I don't see them making a push at the finals in in any capacity. But I do do see them, you know, taking the over on that 41 and a half line. uh, Just because I think R.J. Bear continues his improvement. I think Julius Randle continues strong play. I think their point guard play will be better. I think their defense will continue to, to be pretty good. And I think that the Knicks will be an above average team that, you know, gives some teams some trouble, but definitely won't be a contender. 
Yeah, to finish up uh, over-unders on my side, we're returning back to the West. Um, first, we're going to talk about the Grizzlies, coached by, of course, Tony Taylor Jenkins, my man. I have the Grizzlies. I hate to say it, guys. So it's 45 and a half right now. I'm taking the under, but don't worry. I'm still having us make the playoffs. Um, the thing is, I really just don't know what to expect from this team, and I'm not going to lie to myself. I think any dedicated Grizzlies fans kind of knows what's up. Uh, we traded away Jonas Valanciunas uh, to the Pelicans. Of course, got Steven Adams in return, some other nice pieces. But I think this was sort of a blow up and this was sort of making room for the next age, uh, making room for Jaw, making room for JJJ, making room for Zayu Williams, who they just drafted. Um, and I think anyone who really was watching the Grizzlies knew that Valanciunas was their best player. He was absolutely the anchor of their offense. Uh, things sort of ran through him in that pick and roll. And of course, he was a beast on defense. Um, now, I think this Grizzlies team is definitely going to look a little bit different um, this season. I see it as sort of a transition slash rebuilding year, and it's odd to say that because, you know, this is a team that just made the playoffs. Uh, they obviously had that a very exciting playoff. They, sorry, very exciting finishes in the play-in to get into that A seed. So I think this is a team that we sort of are familiar with their floor already. Um, we know that Jaw is a superstar. Um, I think he needs to improve his shooting. He probably needs to improve his playmaking, which really means passing. Um, and I think the guys around him, these young wings, uh, sharpshooter Desmond Bain, you know, defensive hound, Dylan Brooks, slow-mo, Kyle Anderson should all, uh, you know, no pun intended, take step forward, take steps forward. Um, but I'm also... Um, I don't know. I, it's It seems like these guys could be packaged off with some of the Grizzlies' first-round picks. They have six first-round picks in the next two years. So this team really has a lot of versatility in what they can do. They might even end up acquiring another superstar to fit in with Jaw. Who knows? But I really see the J-Squad, obviously composed of, of Jaw and Jaron Jackson Jr., You know, not really taking off this year, but I think building their mojo. Um, I would love to see them get into the playoffs and get some more postseason experience because I think that's very important. It's just a completely different game when, it, when you're in the playoffs. Um, but honestly, I'm excited to see John in that environment. I think he absolutely thrives in the environment. He wants that moment when he, you know, he's down by one and it's make it or miss it. Jaw wants the ball in his hands. He wants to make that play. And I think that's a very, very rare tra trait and definitely something that you want from your star. So, um, you know, I'm optimistic about the, the Grizzlies in the next few years. Obviously, one of the youngest teams in the league. Taylor Jenkins, extremely young coach, graduate of Penn, as I mentioned already. Um, but yeah, I think just stay tuned for the Grizzlies. I'm taking the over, like I said, on 41 and a half. But yeah, uh, they're going to be in the playoffs and uh, I hope Jaw is going to make some noise. Um, but speaking of the playoffs, I have at the top of the West, or I'll say second, the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm going to be taking the over on this retirement home of 42 and a half. So I really think that they're a regular season team. And this is like weird to say, but I'm sorry, Russell Westbrook is a trash basketball player. I hate this man, but he raises the floor of our team. Um, I'm also from Los Angeles, so I'm going to say our team. Um, now, I'm quite conflicted on Russ. I don't want him to touch the ball at all in the playoffs. Um, and I'll say that because I know we're going to make the playoffs. The only thing that I really have a question for this team is how motivated are we going to be in the regular season? What is our attitude going in? How focused are we going to be on building chemistry, on you know having LeBron dominate games having ad play the five in absolute dominant games you know um so i'm really expecting this lakers team to gel quite well i think we have a truly insane roster they brought back so many so many experienced players uh leek monk is a great point guard add sorry a great point guard addition uh deandre jordan and dwight howard are both experienced absolute beasts in the paint which are definitely going to help uh the lakers just honestly have size we saw how in the uh, playoffs two years ago that size really really mattered against the, the nuggets for example when dwight howard you know a guy who you're basically playing a minimum is getting you 
great, great, valuable minutes against Nikola Jokic, who went on to win the MVP. Um, at the point guard position, they have Kendra Nunn. They also brought back Rajan Rondo, who I think is an absolute difference maker in the playoffs. And even that, I just think he brings a lot of intangibles that you would love to see from uh, some of your younger players like Mac McClung, some of those other sharpshooters who you really want to develop so they can make those key shots. Um, I've neglected to mention Carmelo Anthony, Anthony this far, but obviously he wants to win. And so I think this team is really going to look at their seventh season seed uh, last year and really just look at a disappointing year overall, uh, mired by injuries, and they're going to want to come out. They're going to be eager. And I think an over here is safe. I think uh, you're betting on LeBron James. Um, and I think that's always a safe bet. Yeah, like you said, safe bet on LeBron James and kind of a similar uh, vein. I'm going to take the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, hometown team. So I'll probably say our team as well. I'm going to take the over at 50 and a half. Uh, you can't go wrong betting on Joel Embiid. I mean, he took steps forward last year, which some people didn't even think was possible for him to do that. Obviously, the big question mark for them is Ben Simmons and all the stuff going on with that. It doesn't look likely that Ben Simmons ever plays a game for the Philadelphia 76ers ever again, uh, which obviously leaves the team with some holes and some questions. And the biggest one of that is how are they going to replace Ben Simmons production with a cast of characters that several of these players have parts of his skill set, but nobody has all of it. And so they're going to be vulnerable in, in some areas, regardless of who's out there. They've tried in preseason to put Tyrese Maxey, their second uh, their second year player in their point guard. But historically, he's been more of an off the bench score. Um, that's not really a role they need this year. I mean, they have guys like Seth Curry. They have Danny Green. They have guys that can shoot the ball uh, and that, that need to take more shots. They don't really need Maxey in that role. So that's why they want him uh, to run that point guard. He can also run the high pick and roll. He's been doing that with Andre Drummond in the preseason. But he has struggled a little bit. Uh, he struggled in one of the preseason starts and was better off the bench. Um, but so did his counterpart running for that role, Shake Milton. He's also another option, but he's struggled to advance the ball at times too, especially against the press. So there's overall just a lot of a, a lot of questions there on the offensive side of the ball, uh, especially if you bring in Matisse Thibel into question. Matisse Thibel is one of the most elite defenders. I, I love uh, the way he plays, mostly because he played basketball like I did when I when I played way back when. Offensive liability, but defensive <laughs> superstar. Uh, so if he's out there, it's it's going to be a complete offensive liability for them. But I think despite the question marks, you have Joel Embiid, you have lots of talented shooters, uh, you, have, you have Doc Rivers, an experienced coach who knows what he's doing. And so I think this team will be a top of the East. Uh, and, and I don't want to bet against them. I, I think that, you know, Philadelphia sports fans obviously are always down in their luck sometimes. So I could be wrong with this take, but I'm going to take the over uh, for this one. And then to close out my picks, um, I'm taking the Cleveland Cavaliers over at 26 and a half. Not going to spend a lot of time talking about this line because this is not a team that's going to be in the playoffs or anything like that. But uh, this is a team that started out hot out of the gates last year. All the talk was their sex land backcourt between, you know, Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. Uh, they struggled on offense, though, at the end of the year. And I think the big key for them is going to be Evan Mobley, who they drafted. He needs to kind of become the guy for them. They need a superstar. They don't have one now. And they need someone to kind of take the attention away from Garland and Sexton and let them kind of thrive. And I think that this is a team that will have some big Colin Sexton nights. will have some big Evan Mobley nights. But they'll also struggle a lot. But I ultimately think they'll put together maybe a handful more wins than they did last year. And they'll get over that line. Yeah, I know Joey and I can't wait for the start of the NBA season, and we're definitely curious to you know come back, reflect on these lines, see how stupid we are, see how you know how I can roast Joey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, listeners, Quaker Nation, I am bringing you our closing segment on this fine Sunday, not fine Sunday. It is o fine depending no, on how you not, look at it. We not, had no, it's not a fine Sunday, October tenth. Uh, 
the Browns check in. Let's let's just get this over with. Uh, the Browns faced off against the Chargers. They scored a lot of points. They scored a lot. This, a this lot, game a lot was of insanity. There were so many points scored, so many stat lines. It looked like it was straight out of a Madden game. Yeah. Yeah, this was one of the most exciting football games I've definitely seen in a while. And honestly, when I was watching it, I was like, is this kind of like Rams-Chiefs like two years ago? And as the game developed more and more, I'm like, it is kind of like Rams-Chiefs two years ago. And I, you know, I really think you know, we both touched on it. You see the Chargers as a rising team. Uh, you know, I don't know if the Super Bowl is is really reasonable this season, but I don't know. They're playing very well. They're, they're competing with some good teams, beating b- good teams. But you know, I'm obviously very high on the Cleveland Browns as well, and I think this is sort of a coming out for both of these offenses. We see Brandon Staley. You know, the offense for the Chargers especially looked absolutely unstoppable against a solid Browns defense. Um, I don't even want to talk about the Browns' defense getting what forty-five points dropped on them. Yeah, walk me through that, Nick. I mean, last week we saw we saw them hold the Vikings to seven points. I mean, that was a defensive showdown. They go fourteen-seven victory, uh, a gritty win, and then they come here and have just an absolute shootout with the Chargers. I mean, what happened? I mean, over the the course of a week, the change. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very interesting. I think uh, their secondary, especially, was very exposed. But the one thing for me. you know the Browns love to play with a time, you know, heavy time of possession. They love to run the ball. They like these drawn out drives where they can really control the pace of the game and really put the game away from like a more tactical standpoint. Where in the sense that you know if you have an eight minute drive and the Browns are converting more efficiently than you, then how many drives are you really getting? And for me, it was the Chargers were just able to make big plays, those big chunk plays. If you look at the time of possession, if you look at the running game, everything was right for the Browns. But I think the problem with that is it's a very, very uh, stable strategy, if that makes sense, um, where you're sort of leaving yourself vulnerable to those more like gain plays. I think the Browns kind of run more like piece size offense. You know, you're controlling the ball, you're controlling it through runs. But, you know, the Chargers are kind of just gunning and like when Mike Williams is down the field and it's either Mike Williams is going to catch the ball or it's going to be offensive pass interference or the rest are going to blow the call and it's going to be offensive pass interference or he's going to drop it you know the Chargers I, I feel are pretty comfortable with having Justin Herbert just throw 50 yard bombs to Mike Williams and having Keenan Allen make ridiculous grabs on the sideline and for me it was really just the Browns could not stop the Chargers I I can't say it was that ex- I mean I don't even I don't even know what to make of it. I can't say it's that unexpected. I think we've seen even elite defenses like the Rams, for example, a couple of years ago. They they let up 50-point games, but... For me, I, I marked this game as a as a maybe need to win for the Browns. Um, I would have liked for them to have gotten this win, but I don't think it was absolutely necessary for them. Um, I think this is just going to be one of those shootout games, one of those absolute kind of flukes. But I'd be concerned about the Browns defense if another one of these games happens to one of the elite offenses. But, you know, I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of. I think when the Browns are scoring at such an efficient and fast rate, you know, of course, the Chargers are going to get the ball back and there's only so much you can do to stop them. Um, on the topic of Baker Mayfield quickly, I think he had an absolutely great game, but obviously outclassed by Herbert, who had 400 yards throwing almost and five total touchdowns. And he's looking like an MVP candidate, which I'll, I'll let Joey gloat about that in a second. But I think Blake, Baker played well, and we saw both running backs play very well. Um, it was kind of just like they ran out of steam on that last drive, and they, they had a chance to end the game. Um, they got stopped on a first and 10, just simple run play uh then it was an incompletion another incompletion and then they punted away and the game was over because they couldn't stop them and so it was really an offensive game um and the browns kind of just ran out of steam and so i'm just sad that they didn't win that game i think they uh the chargers definitely won that game but um the browns almost deserved it in a way and so i'm just sad they didn't come out with a win yeah i think i mean i don't know i think 
people are going to try and overreact to this. I mean, but it could just be an aberration. This could be just a one-time thing where the, the Browns put up these crazy numbers and have this shootout game, and then they go right back to defensive battles when they go ahead and play the Bengals and play the Ravens and play the Steelers. I think that that division is completely up for grabs. I don't think there's any division um, that, well, maybe the NFC West, although you have Russell Wilson out with injury now, but I think this might be the most competitive division in all football. So this is the, I'm looking forward to the Browns check-ins every week, riding the emotional highs and lows with Nikki. Uh, we won't be doing Chargers check-ins nearly as much. I definitely won't resist the chance to take a victory lap as I will today on that Herbert and Chargers take, but we won't be talking about them when things aren't so great, uh, when they're undoubtedly going to hit bumps in the roads. But I think that the Browns, it's just almost crazy. It just shows us why the NFL is so exciting and why it's worth following along. Even if you're not a football fan, fan, I mean, the fact that you can have a 14-7 defensive battle and then all of a sudden next week you find yourself in an absolute shootout playing a completely different style of game. And ultimately, I think that's why the Chargers were able to edge the Browns. I mean, the Browns, like you said, Nikki, don't like to play the style of game. The Chargers, this is exactly what they love to do. They love these AFC West style of shootouts. And I think that was ultimately the difference in this game. Yeah, I think, um, you know, if you're the Browns, you're obviously sad about this loss, but you move on pretty quickly. Um, this is nothing to scoff at. This was, you know, 42 points on the board. Offense played absolutely amazing. Running game did exactly what it needs to do. Cream Hunt looks absolutely unstoppable, as does Nick Chubb. Um, they're just beasts, and I think they're going to run over the weaker teams. Um, again, this is a really nice Chargers team, a Chargers team that might threaten in the playoffs, as uh, Joey's been predicting. And so, uh, yeah, honestly, this was just a joy, to the wa- a joy to watch, but obviously sad the Browns didn't come out on top. All right, now we'll dive into some of our predictions. We have Penn football and Thursday Night Football. I'll let Nikki set up the Penn football game. He'll be there on the road in Columbia, at Columbia, in New York City. I mean, over our fall break, Nikki set us up for this absolute showdown between two two middling Ivy League teams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll just tell you one thing. Penn is going to come into the big city and take care of business. I... Columbia, like, you've shown me nothing. Our defense just had a shutout. I'm predicting a strong, strong performance in Penn. I really think that the team is going to be energized from their fourth quarter performance. At least I hope so. I absolutely need it to happen because I'm going to be depressed if we lose this game. But yeah, ultimately, I have Penn eking, eking out a 17-14 to victory. Um, I really don't expect to be impressed by anyone in this game, Joey. Um, I really hope I'm proven wrong. But I have faith in our defense, um, and I and I love defense, so... Go Quakers, 17-14. We're going to be topping uh, Columbia. I wish that I could say I was going the same prediction, Nikki. I have Columbia, pretty much similar score. I just was altering it, you know, up to the, the minute we're recording this. Um, I have 17-13 Columbia victory. I think the field goals will be the predominant method of scoring for both of these teams. Um, neither has really been an offensive juggernaut like you've seen, like with a Dartmouth or with a Yale early this season. Uh, but the problem with Columbia, like you said, none of their wins tell me anything about them. Uh, they lost to Princeton in the Ivy opener, but Princeton is a good team, but it also wasn't a blowout. So I can't really kind of gauge where they're at and how they measure up them they also beat marist uh georgetown central connecticut state I, i'm not sure what these te- being those teams tells me um it's a lot easier for us to look at a pen team that barely beat a you know tw- they beat convincingly a lehigh team that is winless has scored a touchdown but it wasn't convincing enough um the problem is the pen just hasn't passed the football reliably and i i can't trust that the run game is going to be there uh to bail them out and that that'll be able to kind of edge them edge the lions in this game so i'm going to take columbia in a narrow victory uh, but i think it's a toss-up 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think it will be decided by some key plays. Uh, we'll see if uh, wide receivers can step up on either side and make those big chunk plays that we've been kind of talking about. Penn definitely needs to get their game going through the air, but you know I think they definitely have a stable run game, and you know they got that going in the fourth quarter. I think they'll look to continue that. So I think if some of their wide receivers can make some chunk plays, some big impact plays, I think that might be enough for Penn to you know get pushed over the edge and uh, capture victory here. Yeah, and then in another game that is only a short scepter right away from our campus we have uh, the bucks and eagles the reigning super bowl champs are coming to visit at lincoln financial uh, bucks and eagles thursday night football it'll be the day after you're listening to this podcast if you listen to the day on that it comes out um, i have the buccaneers winning this game the buccaneers just absolutely rolled over the miami dolphins today tom brady had over 400 yards and five passing touchdowns a week after kind of having a disappointing showing against his former team the patriots while the Eagles, they did eke out a win today against a Panthers team. It was three and one. That's been pretty good. But this Eagles team just doesn't have an identity. The Jalen Hurts has looked really good at times and really bad at times. They've struggled to run the ball at times, but then also have run really well. Uh, they've gotten lots of penalties. I just don't think this Eagles team is cohesive enough, has an identity to rely on. I think the Buccaneers, I think they roll to not an easy victory, but I think it's more of a 31-20 game. I think the Eagles put up some points, maybe mount a late comeback, but I think the Buccaneers, you know, I don't think they sweat this one. I think that they kind of have it in control the whole time. Yeah, I'm on a similar uh, wavelength as you, Joey. I have the score as at 38-20 for the Buccaneers. Um, I really think the key for the Eagles here is to sort of follow, again, maybe a Cowboys game plan in week one. Um, I saw a stat today. Buccaneers have the number one rush defense and the last passing defense, which ranks for about 20th overall in the NFL. So I think the Eagles really need to adapt to the Buccaneers here and expose that. Um, I really, really want Jalen Hurts to just you know, like Joe Burrow said, give me NP set and let him work type thing. Um, I think I was watching the game earlier, t- uh, yeah, earlier today, and I saw Jalen Hurts really just doing some work, um, extending plays, making plays on the field, making those input plays exactly what we were talking about. And I think that's where you can really hurt the Buccaneers and take them out of their comfort zone. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I, I don't see the Eagles stopping them. Um, I just think the Buccaneers are going to roll over them, as you say. Their offense is just looking absolutely great. Uh, Tom Brady looks like he can get eight yards to anyone he wants, anytime he wants. So, uh, yeah, I got Bucks 38-20. Yeah, and just another Eagle side note, I just cannot tell if Nick Sirianni is like forcing a game plan on Jalen Hurts or if he's trying to mold around the game because at times like you said Jalen Hurts is running wild playing his game then other times it looks like he's trying to play a game that's just not his and I half wonder if it's Nick Sirianni trying to make the game plan that he sees long term work for Jalen Hurts and I think that's going to be kind of a theme um, for all if you're if you want to follow local teams I and mean, whether Jalen Hurts will be the quarterback next season is a big storyline um, and I think we're only going to find out more about that as the season goes on. Okay, well, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, obviously, it's a very, very exciting time in sports right now. In this past weekend for Penn Sports, we had you know games for all sports um, across the slate. In the NFL, we had one of the most exciting Sundays I can remember in a while. Obviously, we're right in the midst of the MLB playoffs, and I'm going to be checking on these series to see how Evan's doing, see if he's a reliable source to have back on the podcast or not. Just kidding. I know he's not. But anyways... Um, yeah, I think uh, I'm just super excited for sports, honestly. It's great to have Penn Sports back. It's great to have the NBA season starting up soon. And uh, I hope you guys are just as excited as Joey and I are. Thanks for listening. <laughs>